Yo, what's the deal, baby? This your boy, Uncle Luke, formerly of the Two Live Crew. You are listening to Pass It Down with Mike Silver and Natalie Silver. Natalie is the most beautiful young lady in this deal right here. Mike doesn't look so good, even though they're dad and daughter. It's the big show, baby. Well, uh, when we left off with Michael Zagaris, uh, our heads were spinning. We'd heard a firsthand account of the Bobby Kennedy assassination, um, a story about his hash-fueled conversation with Eric Clapton that propelled him into Mm -hmm. his legendary career as a sports and rock photographer, and uh, Jim Morrison welcoming him into the business by vomiting over his shoulder kind on of stage. a baptism yeah as it were as it were we also heard z talk about how he kind of got creative figuring out how to gain access into these events and how he would fake credentials and he actually ended up taking it up a notch we're picking right back up with the story from 1972 Ooh. um Detailing how we got into a Rolling Stones tour as a photographer. Well, all right. You know, I am a deadhead, but, you know, my real, real, real most abiding, deepest, oldest love is the Stones, really. You know, I mean, raised on the Beatles, too. But, like, you know, that the Stones to me and, you, you know, I've tried to pass as much down to you as I can. It takes but full credit. It's, uh, you know, that is that hits me the most emotionally. So when I knew that. You know, when when we met and I knew that you actually knew the Stones, you know, I was kind of like, I don't give a shit about anything else that we're talking about. You know, I want to hear about this. And, you know, the funny your relationship with Keith, you would like you would actually tell Keith how you really felt and not be one of these like people buzzing around him like, oh, yes, rock star. So, again, that goes back to our the way, you know, we approach things. But I, I just. And that's how that's how he is. And that's how people I mean, I think that's how you should live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Nikos Katsandakis once say? An honest man will be driven from 10 villages in his lifetime. <laughs> be that guy. Yeah. Well, and so there's a story in the book about you. Uh, I just I need you need to retell for me this story about you wanting to tour with the Stones. And this is like in the Cocksucker Blues Tour, I think, like the 1972. Yeah, the, yeah. I w- and I was, I was totally naive. I thought, if I want to do something, just let me do it. Oh, you want to go? Yeah, come along. And I tried for about a month through two or three different channels, and it was like, no, they're already taken care of. No, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to talk to this guy. You're gonna have to talk to Gary Keldren, Kelgren. And it was like trying to get your first job. Well, we'd like to hire you, but you don't have any experience. <laughs> but I can't get any experience if you don't hire me. So I, I thought finally, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to have to make my own job. So I remember I was a big fan of European fashion magazines. I always got French, Italian, and English Vogue. And I was looking through English Vogue, and I saw that photo editor was Leo Lerman. I knew mix mix not so much manager, but his girl Friday was Joe Bergman. And I thought, I'll get Joe Bergman on the line. And that took me about a week. And I finally, they put Joe Bergman through to me. And she goes, because now I'm not Michael Zagaris. I'm Leo Lerman. 
Nice. It's Joe. It's Leo Lerman here, Vogue magazine. Oh, Leo, how's it going? Listen, it's going well, but, you know, we're thinking about doing a story on the, on the lads. And um, we've got this great new photographer, Michael Zagaris. <laughs> I'd like to send him along on the tour. And she says, well, you know what? We have a tour photographer, Ethan Russell. Um, we're all set there. If you need any pictures, we can we can make them available to you. But we're, we're not bringing anybody else along the tour. Oh, really? Well, that's that's really a pity, isn't it? Because um, we we can't really take handouts of Vogue now, can we? <laughs> well, you know, maybe next next time, next tour, and she goes, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, what's this guy's name? It's Michael Zagaris. He's, he's a good lad. Um, she said, you know, if you can get him up to Vancouver, we open the tour there, and then we're going to San Francisco. Um, he can join us. And um, he can come along for a few dates um, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So I go up to Vancouver, can't shoot the show there, put me on the plane, come down to San Francisco. We do four shows here. They're doing an afternoon and an evening show at Winterland, a day off, then an afternoon and an evening show. So I'm shooting that. We go down to Los Angeles, do two shows there, then to San Diego. Then I'm done. I come home. At the same time I'm doing this, Robert Frank is making this documentary, what, what turns out to be Cocksucker Blues. So, and Robert Frank, I mean, God, talk about Dr. Droll. He's, he hardly talks to anybody. His sound man's real cool. His sound man's getting high with Keith. I remember <laughs> Robert's like, um, it's just, where I can't remember the guy's name. Where is he? You know where he is. I, I know what's going on. He's got a, like a little Swiss accent. And, you know, I wanted to say, look, man, I'm not doing smack. But, you know, so don't put all your shit on me. Yeah. But it, it was it was like that. Keith at the time, each stone had their own like private roadie. Keith had Freddie Sessler. Oh, Freddie. Freddie was... He was kind of like bending with Led Zeppelin. But I remember he had a saddlebag he carried everywhere with him. In the front of the saddlebag, he opened it up, and he'd take out a big baggie and it had about an ounce and a half of blow in it to the point where he'd like could go like this. And I remember you'd tear off a, the head of a match, that you know, like the book of matches. you tear that off, and you'd be doing like half-gram hits. And in the in the back of this in the back of the saddlebag he had another baggie and it was thin but that was china white oh because <laughs> you don't want to go up unless you can come down right <laughs> yeah right of course um you mentioned zeppelin um you know nally was reading in the book I, that's the famous concert that you shot where I guess it was their last show in the U.S., right? But where the the violence happened. The time you ever shot, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if this like this story is widely known in the Bay Area, but I just don't know if nationally it's as known. But it's a, it's an incredible story with Bill Graham and Zeppelin on a day on the Green Show. Well, they they were close to the end of the tour. They, I remember they'd come from San, from I think Seattle. Went to, went to Los Angeles and then came to us. And then they were going, th this wasn't going to be the end of the tour. They were flying to New Orleans after this to play at the Superdome. Okay. And 
we played the first show at winter at um, day on the green. Um, I can't even remember who opened up for him because I was, I was backstage a lot, but I remember. This is the was, same Coliseum where Z who has been the A's photographer for 40 years. That's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. 41. Yeah. But who's dominated this <laughs> infield. Anyway. So something goes down. I didn't see what happened, but I'd heard later that Peter Grant's son, who was nine or 10 or 11, had been bouncing a basketball around. He was hitting people with it inadvertently. People were complaining. So Peter Barsotti sent. Nice, right? Excuse me here. <laughs> I'm right in the middle of a Zoom call. Can I call you back in 15 minutes? You got it. Um, so Peter Barsotti sent Jim Mazorkas, who worked for Bill Graham, basically to retrieve the ball. Jim told me later, he just took the ball and he said, Hey, people have been complaining. I'm going to keep this ball right now. As soon as you guys are done playing, I'm going to get back to you. You can, you can continue playing. There won't be many people backstage. He went to his father. Who knows what he told Peter, but Peter Grant goes nuts. They summon Mazorkas. Somebody tells Mazorkas, Hey, Peter Grant needs to talk to you in the trailer. And so, Jim, who was, I think, 18 or 19 at the time, goes to the trailer. As he walks in the door, he's tripped by John Binden, one of the roadies, falls. Peter Grant falls, you know, sits on him. And if Peter Grant sits on you, you're not going anywhere. He's like 500 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And, and Binden and um, John Bonham proceed to beat him severely. He came out of the door. His eyes were swollen shut. His nose was bleeding. Bill finds out about it. Freaks. There was talk for about four or five hours. There wasn't going to be a show the next day. Peter Grant ultimately forced Bill to sign a paper saying they would, they, that Led Zeppelin would go on as long as Bill wouldn't file a suit an assault case in, in such case. Bill's attorney at the time was William Koblenz, who was also a board on the board of regents for UC. Whoa. He told Bill, sign the contract. It'll have no validity in, this, in, you know, in court because you've signed this under duress. Mm-hmm. Bill signs it. I know nothing about any of all this side stuff at the time. The next day we go to the hotel we leave from the St. Francis. We get, we get to the Coliseum. As I'm walking backstage, Peter Barsotti said, Z, I've got to talk to you. And I've known Peter for like five, six years. He's Bill's stage manager. He said, hey, you can't go on stage today with that, that being the Zeppelin laminate. He said, you have to ask for one of our, Peter Grant's going to have to request one of our stage passes and I said, hey, man, whatever's going on with you guys has nothing to do with me. I've got a son that's a month old. I'm working for them. I said, don't fuck my trip up and get me in the middle of this. He said, hey, no. Bill said the only way they're going to allow you on stage is Peter Grant has to request this. So, so now I go backstage, go into the trailer. 
talking with Peter Grant's never fun anyway, unless you're in the band. That's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> so everything all right? I said, yeah, everything's all right, Peter, except I said, Peter Barsotti, um, you know, Bill Graham's stage manager said, I can't go on stage with this. You have to request one of their stage passes from them. He says, you tell Peter Barsotti, you've got the only fucking pass you need. And it's Led Zeppelin's pass. And you tell him, anybody that lays a hand on you, we've got two blokes with us that are fucking packing and we'll fucking blow them away. Oh. And I said, Peter, I, I said, I can't tell. He says, no, mate, you fucking tell him straight away. He like pushes me out of the trailer. Now I'm thinking, fuck. So I go back to the production trailer. Peter goes, yeah. I said, okay. I just talked to him. I said, he's not having it. I said, he basically said, this is the only pass I need. I'm working for Led Zeppelin. And he said, and nobody better lay a hand on me because they've got two dudes that are packing and they'll blow you away. He goes, tell what? <laughs> I said, I said, he's upset. I, he said, no, no, no. What did he say? I said, he said, they'll blow you away, but I, I'm sure that's not what he meant. It's a figure of speech. He goes, hold on. He, he leaves. Now he brings Bill back. Yeah. And Bill goes, My, Michael, what did Peter Grant say? I want you to tell me word for word. I said, Bill, he's really upset. No, no, no. What did, what did he say to you? <laughs> I said, he said that this is the only pass I need. It's Led Zeppelin. Any of your people lay a hand on me. They've got two people that are packing and they'll blow you away. So they'll, they'll blow me away. I said, Bill, <laughs> no, no, no. Come with me. And I'm thinking, fuck, this is it. I'm never, I won't work this show. Probably won't work for anybody again for a while. Bill takes me down around to the front of the stage and at down the green, the stage was huge, like 15 feet tall. You know, when you're standing in front of it there, it's like looking up in an elevator, but he's got about eight or 10 guys. A couple of guys, I remember that cutouts, cutoffs, and they had their hands taped. Feet tape. There are a couple of Samoans. And Bill goes, <laughs> see this man? Meaning me. He says, he's working for Led Zeppelin. And he holds up my laminate. If there's any trouble, he's working for Led Zeppelin, but he's a friend of ours. Nobody touch him. So you can go now. <laughs> and, and so I left. And I'm like, dude. <laughs> we shoot the show. At the end of the show, they have all, they have like four limos, maybe five limos. And I'm thinking, wow, this is cool. They have Alameda County Sheriff's, Highway Patrol, Oakland PD, escort to the airport. There was an escort to the airport. And they got to the airport and where Zeppelin's liner was, was where the Kaiser thing was. It wasn't the main airport. And... They pull up the limos by the plane and all the escort, which is about seven or eight cars and about five motorcycles. They surround the plane. Everybody gets out. They arrest Peter Grant, John Binden, John Bonham. Whoa. Cuff them, take them to Alameda County Sheriff's, book them for assault. 
Zeppelin flies on to New Orleans, where the following morning, Roberts wakes up to a telephone call that his son Carrick, who was four at the time, an angelic child, beautiful, long flowing hair, that kind of looked like the, the picture on their logo. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Swan song label had just contracted peritonitis and died. They fly home. They played, I think, three more gigs. I think they played Nebworth Fair. They played a couple gigs, one in North of England, one in Germany. And then Bonham. Yeah, they were going to tour again. They were coming yeah. back to L.A. and, and Bonham dies. And Bonham died. So that was, that was the end of Led Zeppelin. Wow. And um, Jimmy and Scarlett were here. It'll be two years next week. And Scarlett was reading at City Lights. So she calls and she says, you know, Jimmy wants to get together. So we got together for, and hung out for two days. This is two years ago? Yeah. And the second day we're, we're having lunch. And, 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 he's, and he's got, a, you know, even now he's got his own bodyguard. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have the long hair, but you'd know it's Jimmy. Yeah. yeah. So even when we're having lunch, the bodyguard and the bodyguard is like somebody that's also done black rock and and you know he was going from there to jamaica and he's packing in an ex-navy guy and he sits like two tables away so like if you suddenly recognize and you come over he'll intercept you excuse me i guess but we're talking about a lot of different things and stories and shit we've done and somehow we get to the concert and jimmy says all i really remember about that day i remember looking down from the stage and seeing Bill Graham's people like pulling people out of the audience and like beating them. <laughs> and Kristen kicks me under the table like, don't go there. Don't go there. Because that's not what happened at all. Nothing like that happened. But Jimmy was really out of it that day. And I know in his mind, he believes that happened. And it's crazy because if the three of us were side by side and watched something pretty heavy happening five days, five months, five years later, there could be three totally different versions of what happened. And you'd go, no, that's not, oh, what were you looking at? That's not, that's not how I remember it at all, but that's how he, he remembers that day. And, and Jim Mazorkas, by the way, the kid, there was a settlement. No one could talk about it. That was part of the yeah. thing. He, he became the president of the Port of Richmond. Big A's fan. His family's from Crete, like my family. Um, he was going to retire December 31st. I'd always give him tickets to A's games and, you know, we'd talk and hang out. He came down with COVID on Thanksgiving night, <sighs> battled it for about a week and, and got, got better, but it felt really weak and had no energy. December 20th was going upstairs, collapsed on the stairs, died, <gasps> heart failure. And they found that the heart failure was because of COVID. And he was re- the 31st of December was going to be his last day. And he had two tickets for he and his wife. On no one way trip to Crete for however long they wanted to be there. 
Um, his daughter, Ileana, worked for, um, what was the A station last year? Oh, um, yeah. Not the, last year, the year before. The Candy W? Uh, no, the, uh, wait, I, I'm confused because didn't the A's go like full uh, streaming? Yeah, they went streaming, but now they're back. They've got 960 or something. Yeah, um, yeah. But before that and before the streaming, this station had, who's the guy that came from Cleveland? Uh, uh, it's it's that station. Yeah, that was their thing, and and she did a lot of work for them. Oh, nice. But so that's yeah, that's what happened there. Okay, I have to ask you to to tell me one story that only two people could possibly recollect because you told me this a long time ago. I don't know that it's ever been publicly shared, but you're very very close with Peter Frampton, and um, you know, I, in fact, I wasn't there, but. Frampton showed up one time at a game in Tampa, I oh, think, you wish you were there. as Zagaris's grip on the sidelines. No way. People were like, who's that? Oh, it's Peter Frampton. Oh, uh, but you and you and Frampton, uh, he had a he had a sold out show in the city, I think. And you guys were a little uh, late. You know what story I'm talking about. You and Frampton decided to take a little um, trip on the night he had a show. No, you're talking about that's that's Tyrannosaurus Rex. Oh, it was T yeah, was T Rex. Was, yeah, that was okay. Rex. Excuse me. Sorry, I'm sorry. So they were playing at the Family Dog, which and what had moved out to the beach down by the Great Highway. Yeah, on the Great, the highway. Great highway. Yeah, and I wanted to shoot them, so I you know I talked to Cream Magazine, and they said, yeah, we don't have a story plan, but yeah, definitely we'll pay you take the pictures. So I showed up at sound check and it was like, I think three 30 or something. And they were just kind of finishing up. And so I'm hanging, we're talking and, and in the talk, somehow I I'd gotten on. I said, Oh man, I, I said, you know, about a month ago, I had one of the most incredible acid trips I've ever taken. And it was like a lemon wafer. And I said, you know how sometimes you hear about hearing the universe. Well, I've never heard the universe. And I said, this trip, I heard the universe and it, it, it's, I don't want to say it changed my life, but it changed. It was like unbelievable. And Mark goes, wow, do you have any more of that acid? <laughs> and I said, I, I, not a lot, but yeah, I do. And he says, can you get some? And I said, yeah. I, so, you know, I live in the hate. I can, you know, I can probably be back in a half an hour. So I went home and I remember I had two hits of lemon wafer and cut it in half, brought it back. And he says, now, if we take it now, can we play? And I said, um, have you eaten? He says, oh, we, we, yeah, we just, we just had some food. I said, you know, if you take it now, it'll probably start coming on during the show. I said, this is, this is really like fucking cosmic stuff. And he says, well, let's do it. <laughs> I remember. So it was me, him and his drummer. And we, t we dropped it. And the old family dog there was where Playland at the beach was literally about 500 yards down from the cliff house. So we, we took it. Oh, it was up there. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Down by the zoo. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, not down by the zoo. Yeah. I mean, here's by the, the cliff house. house. And as you go down the hill, that's where Playland at the beach was, all the way Whoa. down, Whoa. almost to where um, 
the panhandle stops. Wow. Or not the panhandle, but the park stops. Yeah. And that building was right at the cliff house end of it. So we walked out on the beach there and started walking. And I remember I had like a half a joint and fired it up. We passed it around. And it's it's maybe half hour before sunset. Well, we're walking along and this shit hit really fast. And we'd walked and walked and walked to where the beach stopped past the zoo where it starts to be rocked. And I remember, and now it's nighttime. And I remember lying, we were lying on our backs and it was one of those rare, you could see all the stars, there's no fog. And, I, and you could hear the ocean because it's like right there. I remember we were lying on our backs and I said, yeah, we're lying on the side of the planet spinning through the galaxy and the universe. And it was like, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, when we got back and we, you know, you lose all sense of time, place, space. We got back and there were hardly any cars. And it was 12, 15. No. <laughs> For like a nine o'clock show? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. And I said, wow. I think the show was canceled. Yes. Fucking hell. Oh. <laughs> oh. I said, uh, do you need a ride back to your hotel? Yeah. That would be great. <laughs> I remember, and I thought now, you know, because then now I'm starting to come down a little, and I think we all are a, a little. And I got in the car and thought I was ready to go. But when I got in the car, it was almost like being in a spaceship. And I started to drive, and his drummer was like half lying down the back. And he goes, fuck, I can't believe you're driving. <laughs> and I said, shut up. <laughs> And I'm trying to, you know, like focus. And and I remember their hotel was right on the edge of the tenderloin. And we pulled up and I said, is this it? He says, yeah, this is it. He says, want to come in? I said, no, I don't think so. No. Meanwhile, there's all these fans who are like, yeah, remember that time we were going to go see T-Rex and Bola never showed up and, you know, we got to refund. You know what? That was, that was not my fault. He, that was his idea. I'm going to chalk that up to misadventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, you've lived in San Francisco a long time. And I was born there at Children's, which is now CPMC, and then grew up in L.A., but always w was connected to NorCal, rooted for the Niners, always wanted to come back up. And then obviously went to Cal. Yeah. And, you know, like San Francisco, what San Francisco is, is near and dear to my heart. But then, you know, you've experienced it in a much different way. Yeah, I went to Berkeley. And so we would try to spend a lot of time there, but. I think that, I mean, obviously I wasn't around in its heyday and I wasn't even around when you were there living in the hate, having fun, but I think that it's probably changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still weird. 
is I, it's not weird now. It's, or in my experience, it's no, it's yeah. You know what? It's different. And I, I mean, a lot of people say this, I think the one constant on the planet is change and nothing ever remains the same. They they say there's only now. Mm. I think that, I think then was much like the Renaissance. And I really thought our generation, especially in the 60s, I thought we were the catalysts and the facilitators for that change. And it wasn't just music. It wasn't just the sexual revolution. It was happening in politics. It was happening in fashion. It was happening in film. And it wasn't just here. It was global. It was happening in adult film, Mitchell Brothers. Thank you. Yeah, the Mitchell Brothers. It was, well, how about the French students? They aligned with the workers. They almost brought down the Gaulist government. Czechoslovakia, the young people and the artists almost brought down the communist regime. The Russians sent the tanks in, not just to quell that, but as a signal to their own youth. So all of that was happening. Being part of it, I really did think we were the ones causing it. Now I'm thinking that was something, for lack of a better word, was very metaphysical. And we were channeling some energy from the universe. The same thing has been happening the last few years on the planet, but in a much darker vein Mm. everywhere. And so is the hate different? Hell yeah, it's a lot different. Berkeley was different. Um, What does it mean? It's hard. It's hard to know what anything means when you're going through it. It's much better in retrospect when you can put everything together. But yeah, it's it's much different now. You know, when I moved in here in late 73, Michael McClure was my landlord. I was paying $190 a month rent for a one bedroom in the big fireplace, a, a common hall, another room three times as big, a nice backyard. All of the houses in the neighborhood, almost, I mean, all, all of them, these three-story Victorians built at the turn of the century, first cut redwoods, they were all for sale for between 28 and 35 grand with a three and a quarter federally insured wrap loan. Somebody said, well, you got in at the right time. I said, got in? Dude, I'm still renting. You didn't buy? I said, I was always two and three months late <laughs> for $190. So I said, 28,000 might as well have been 28 million. Now these places are all between 1.8 and 3.5 million, depending on how you've pimped them out on the inside. So yeah, the neighborhood's definitely changed. Instead of it being mainly hippie and blue collar working class, it's people with a lot of money and then a pretty big homeless contingent, Mm. which is happening everywhere. Los Angeles now under every overpass. I don't care if you're on Moore Park in, um, in Burbank or if you're in Hollywood. We were at Echo Park. I couldn't believe it. Echo Park is totally ringed with homeless tents. And it's America has changed. 
It's weird. It's almost like trickle down economics, you know, starting with the Reagan administration hasn't really worked the way they advertised it. It's almost like there's a crazy spreading income gap that. Well, capitalism and I'm I'm going to preface before I say anything more. I'm not a communist. I'm not really a pure socialist. But that being said, capitalism only works if you've got somebody to fuck over Mm -hmm. and the English did it so well for so long because they had all the colonies to rip off. Mm -hmm. We did it from really post-World War II to maybe 15, 20 years ago, the same way, a little different. We can't do that anymore. So we fuck our own people over and then blame Islamists or Mexicans. And Mm -hmm. most of the people buy into it because most people, A, are not that smart. And I'm, I'm including a lot of college-educated people, too. They only believe what they want to believe. And then our educational system, too, has been dumbed down since Vietnam. Part of that was planned. <laughs> and we have what we have now. And what we have now is happening not just here, but in the West. Yeah. And the people at the top, on the one hand, realize it. But that being said, they don't want to relinquish either economic control or the power. And what's going to happen? I I don't know. Um, Well, and then also San Francisco, it's like the the dot-com thing, which was cool in a way, like with, hey, it's, it's less stodgy business. They dress casually and all that. But like... The tech money. Well, you were there at the beginning of it, but I have been there in the height of it and it's growing exponentially. It's it's crazy. Yeah, like your generation can't just live in the city. No, you don't. You just don't. Well, and, and here's the thing, too. What I think this country, there's all kinds of misconceptions. We have never at any point ever been what we advertise we are, either to the world or to ourselves. You know, it's kind of like the Bible. It's a great book. It's mainly myths. And when I say the Bible, the Quran, the prayer, I mean, that's all the same thing. And people get caught up in it. Um, The racism we've never dealt with. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, this goes back to the species. We're caught up in all of this now. And because of the technology and the Internet and the iPhone we're now taking in more information in a month than maybe our grandparents did in almost a lifetime. Wow, yeah. And it's rewiring us in ways we don't even realize. That's why this QAnon thing has blown up the way it has. And it's touching all aspects. You know, so many of my friends here, they fucking hate not the dot-commers, but all the techies. And I go, you know, easy to hate. That's as much on the landlords. The techies have the money, and this has always been the thing. And and as a society, we say, oh, we don't want to be communists. We don't want to be socialists. And I always always say say to people, are you into capitalism? And they'll look at you and go, well, yeah. Yeah. 
how's that working for you lately? Yeah. What, what, what do you mean? And it's like, you don't even know what it is. It, it's fucking you over. This country was really hot for the middle class from Roosevelt mid to late 40s to about 1975. Now, the money that used to go to the blue collar workers, the people that worked in the factories, people that worked in stores, that, that now goes to the CEOs and to the shareholders. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is getting fucked. But they're either too ignorant or too in denial to realize it. I mean, 74 million votes for Trump. Now, I know that wasn't a block. There were different people for different reasons. Some, I'm against abortion. Some, you know, I'm a racist. Some, I want to protect my money. But that being said, whatever your reasons, if you're voting for this guy, you're done. No soul. And that's that's after four years of watching it and probably scarily, it's not just run back those four years. It's basically make him king now because democracy would have been dead as we know it. Well, and and, and even now, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. I mean, all of those people, to me, they're worse than Trump ever was. To me, Trump is merely symptomatic of a much deeper darker malaise in the in the soul of america and who we are and you know it's i i I find it ironic that evangelicals cling to this bullshit so much i've got a brother that i i will never talk to again who's an evangelical preacher in idaho who only reads the bible and his whole thing is you know I'll pray for you. And I go, you know what? Why don't you suck my dick? Because that's what you're saying in an aggressive way. He goes, why do you hate Jesus? So and I said, I have no problem with Jesus. It's most of his followers I can't stand. It's kind of like, I like the dead. It's the deadheads that, you know. <laughs> and I said, and if Jesus came back tomorrow, you and your friends would kill him again for being a radical. Yeah. So, there, you know, there you go. Well, and um, I mean... It is, uh, you know, if you're evangelical, he's the least holy human right ever to walk the earth. And it's like every principle, though, every all the bullshit we were fed, you know, anti-Soviet, anti-Russia. Well, it's cool if you conspire with Russia, if our side's going to maybe win the election because of it. Um, Conservative principles, spending, I mean, all of it, they don't give a fuck. It has now become... We want our team to win and fuck you and we'll cheat. We'll change the rules. We'll do anything, but our guy. And that's as a learned lady in Mississippi, some old woman at a store for one of these elections not too long ago said, all I know is if my Lord and savior, Jesus Christ can forgive him, I can, (laughs) and I could never vote for a Democrat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh Lord. There we go. well here we are here we are wow we we have one uh request for you um so our podcast we really think it's awesome and this would be exhibit a 
but we're thinking like our logo or our cover shot is not like really as cool as it should be. And now they kind of have the idea that like, we need to think about like an album cover type of vibe. You know, when we, when you see the photo of our podcast pop up on the internet or on the platforms, but we're trying to figure out what the shot is. Like what's the vision where, yeah. Yeah. Like what's the cool Mike and Natalie, father, daughter, Cal kind of music, politics, sports. Like what, what do we what do you, you know, we, I was told recently by someone multiple times that <laughs> the cover is very unprofessional, unprofessional, unprofessional. So, so that means oh, we, we might want to go a little more unprofessional, I right. think is what you say. Well, remember Storm, who is the brains behind hypnosis, the graphic company, they did a lot of the Led Zeppelin stuff. Oh, yeah. and oh, remember yeah. presence? Yes. That the object. Yes. So, I thought, what a brilliant concept for Led Zeppelin. And Dave Roland said, says, well, the real story there is, he said, Zeppelin was pitching storm. They says, look, we've got to have this, this album cover, sort of like what you're talking about. We want you to think this through. And so he came back a week later. He says, right, I've got just what you, I've j- just the thing. Yeah. And he took out of his suitcase that object <laughs> for presents and Jimmy looked at it and he goes right he says no he says just consider it this is this is Led Zeppelin and now Jimmy's holding it <laughs> and he, Turns it up on the bottom. It said Jethro Tull. And it was something that Storm had made for Jethro Tull and they rejected. <laughs> you regifted Ian Anderson. <laughs> no. <laughs> Let me, you know what? Let me think about it because it, it you know, something like this is important. Yeah. Well, and- you come up, you just asking me now and me to come up with it like oh yeah no no you don't need to come up with it now we just want to plant the seed because you know they do say that when you're not uh short-circuiting t-rex shows that you do have a little bit of an eye for these things and and i i at some point like i'm coming over there and i'm gonna start combing through that stuff and there's got to be photos of me with like the faux mullet yeah you're the, not you're not interested 80s, early 90s. in seeing the bowie or the no. you want to see the michael soul there i you want to go to the refrigerator and say is this the lemon wafer acid <laughs> <laughs> 